listening and enjoy RFB. This is what Brooklyn sounds like. Hey, it's time for Dr. Lisa Gives a Shit. And I'm Dr. Lisa. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to Radio Free Brooklyn, the greatest radio station in the world. So today's a great, I'm in such a good mood. You know what I mean? Because I'll tell you why. Because the impeachment thing is going on. And I am so buoyed by watching Nancy Pelosi and that whole countdown. Did you guys see that? They got, they needed like 218 votes. And I was just in my living room going, yeah, better, better than watching the World Series, if you ask me. Um, I got a great guest here today, uh, Godfrey Phillips, who uh, he's actually, actually, he's Dr. Godfrey. I'm a doctor. He's a doctor. He's a PhD in social work. But the reason Godfrey's here uh, is because he is somebody that grew up during apartheid. He's from here from South Africa. He grew up during apartheid. And we're going to talk about that. We're going to learn a lot. And it's going to be interesting because Godfrey is fucking interesting, folks. But before we do that, I want to tell you about Me Bottle, okay? So what you should do is uh, Me Bottle. Like, it's a really great sponsor of Radio Free Brooklyn, and we're a nonprofit, and we're trying to get the world out to you guys, so that's good. But it's also kind of cool what they're doing. They have a double-insulated reusable stainless steel bottle that disinfects water in 60 seconds through this UVC LED technology that is 99% effective against E. coli. And no one wants E. coli. Don't ask me to explain it to you. That's all I'm saying. But you should go to um, mebottle.com and check it out. They're really actually, there's a lot of colors. They're cool looking. They're cool looking. Um, Also, I just, you know what? Howard, my, my, uh, the guy from camp, Howard, Howard Eckstadt, if you're listening, I'm sorry I haven't gotten back to you. I'm really, really busy. I don't mean to be that person that ghosted you. I did post, the, I did post our session online. That was, uh, two weeks ago, folks, three weeks ago. And I will send you a, uh, message this week. Okay. There we go. So let me introduce you to Godfrey Phillips. Say hi, Godfrey. Hi. Okay, Godfrey's here from South Africa, right? You're right. Yeah. How is it, Godfrey? It's it's beautiful. It's um, it's a free country. Um, it's beautiful. I mean, we have problems. Certainly, we have problems in the city with crime, and there's a lot of corruption. But it's it's. 25 well, years post-apartheid, and it's growing, and it's you know, it's just a. A country that's starting to blossom. So you're here for a few weeks in America visiting because you lived in America for a long, long time, which is which is how I know him, folks. But right now, Godfrey it, um, is the uh, you're like the C. You are instrumental. You're the head of. You're like kind of the head of. You built it with your cousin, but he's the head of of the sh- sh- chamber chamber foundation, which is this amazing place. Uh, out in the bush that's beautiful actually and they have doctors come and volunteer and they do outreach and they treat uh rural they treat rural people and just 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 to give us an example tell tell us about the cataract thing well what we did is we we 
in in our whole area, which is a, a big area, it's hundreds of square miles. There's there are no cataract facilities for for older people or for anyone who has cataract problems. So if you have a cataract, essentially you're you're, you're blind for life, and um, it. Our, our catchment areas are millions, and we decided that you know cataracts are something that you can cure. It's a twenty-minute operation, and in a sense, you get you get sight again, and it's just it's a twenty-minute thing. So we we donated a, a cataract surgery, a state-of-the-art cataract surgeon, and we get we get volunteers to come in and do cataract operations again for the uh, local. Uh, community, it's just an amazing thing to give people sight. They are, uh, we've had a woman who's 197. <gasps> oh my god! Yeah, yeah. wow. Can, what was that like? Did you see her when she, were you there? Did you see what happened when she could see again? Oh, they sing and they dance and they're so happy and they come back and it's just it's an amazing uh, feeling to have done this and to got out got our beautiful, our wonderful team that comes out from Johannesburg, we, they come out like once a month and, and work on the weekends. And, and what, are, what, what are they, they're rural, they're people, how do they live? They're rural people in, they're, in South Africa, In South right? Africa. So our community are very poor. Um, they're very rural. It's, it's the same as I, I was telling Lisa beforehand, is that we don't understand, where, we don't get to the rural communities and you don't understand, all the rural communities everywhere pretty much are, are disadvantaged. We look at the urban and we see what's happening, but when you go out to the rural areas, you, people just forget about them and there's so many people, there's uh, in, uh, certainly in South Africa, so we're out there in the, in the very very rural area. It's beautiful, and and we work out of one hospital, which isn't the greatest hospital, but at least they offer services, and we complement them. And it's it's unbelievably must be good. incredibly gratifying, right? Incredibly gratifying, right? Yeah. So let me tell you a little bit about Godfrey, folks. So Godfrey was born in South Africa, and he. Uh, came to the United States when he was 24 in 1973. And uh, so he grew up during, uh, he grew up during apartheid. And that's what we want to talk about today. Godfrey, uh, just so you know, apartheid, in case you guys are fucking idiots got, and you don't know what it is, it was a system of institutionalized racial segregation uh, from 1948 until the early 1990s. And, you know, Nelson Mandela was voted in. Then do you guys know about this? If you don't, you better fucking look it up because, you you know, I don't want my listeners to be that ignorant. Um, so Godfrey was born the year after apartheid started. Uh, and I, he had a very painful experience. I know that. I don't know the details. We're going to hear that. But he just so I'm just trying to give you a little background so we can talk about this and you can have the context. Okay, guys. So anyway, he uh, apartheid started in 1948. Godfrey was born in 1949. In 1973, when Godfrey was 24, he uh, left and came to America he got his PhD in social work, blah, blah, blah. He wanted to teach here, but he could, or do social work here, but he couldn't, uh, social work in, in South Africa, but he couldn't. Um, he came back in 83 to 84 for a year. 
And then he thought it was horrible and he didn't come back until 2014. And then he and his cousin began to build the organization and then he moved there full time a few years ago, folks. And, um, I, I, the, it's really like uh, I had the good fortune and God, Godfrey's generosity of visiting. And what the thing about that place is the animals, really. I mean, that is really for most. I mean, that's the fuck. Godfrey has giraffes and herds of elephants right in your backyard. Is that right? Yeah. Tell us, Godfrey, what do you see in your back? Like every day, everything. daily. I see everything in my backyard. It's we we have a water hole that we built and um, and. Especially now because it's 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 so dry. I mean, the temperature there now is 105, and there's no rain, and so we feed the animals. And because we feed them, they come. But as soon as it rains, we won't feed them because you know there'll be mm-hmm. enough in the bush. But now it's so. It, like the week all before the you came, what did you see in your backyard? Oh, like just, I saw just the elephants for... came like three days because they. Because we have the water, and so they come for the water. We saw a lion came. I saw a lion. Yeah, I saw that came. I saw a lot of warthogs, a lot of kudu and ayalas. Yeah, and impala. A lot of deer come. And giraffes. Did giraffes you? plenty. Yeah, 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 yeah. Giraffes yeah. are cool. Yeah. So we see. I see a lot, and it's all from my couch about twenty yards away. It's crazy, guys. <laughs> yeah. You can't imagine that. That's the. That's all the good stuff. Yeah. That's that's the highlight of it. So, go ahead, Godfrey. Why don't did did I explain apartheid enough? I yeah, mean, you explained should... it, but it's you know it it was just a very very painful time in the uh, in in the history of the world, and certainly in my you know my history because mm-hmm. I grew up in it. And um, oh, I, wait, I left one thing out, which I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I Godfrey and I talked about how important this is to discuss this now because we're living. I mean, Godfrey was talking about so many direct parallels he sees from that time in South Africa to where we are today. So we're talking from, you know, where we are today with Trump and stuff. So when we talk about this, just bear in mind, folks, this is happening in America now. Okay. Yeah. So it's, yeah. So, you know, it's very hard to grow as I said in Lisa in 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 a country that discriminates against other people. Um, it really is. You know, every day when I was growing up, it wasn't, uh, you know, black people lived behind the house. Black people took the green bus. bus. Black people were arrested in the streets. There's such a th- thing as called pass laws. And if you didn't have a pass to live in the white areas, you were arrested and sent to jail. And for a person that's growing up and a young kid that's growing up in, and you see it because you can't not see Injustice, you know, there's no way. And my example too is when I was doing sociology one at, at uh, the Wits, that was the, the local university. We had, we got a guy in from Europe and from Britain, and he was talking about his experience in Nazi Germany. And he said when he was there, he was walking down the street, and everyone there was this train lo- truckload of Jews that came down the street, and everyone turned to the shops, and they didn't look at the at the truck. And I think that's what the worst thing is that you can have. It's like Eli Vessel talks about indifference as being the biggest, biggest, you know, 
problem that we have. It's not about hating or not about loving. It's just being indifferent to what people's problems were. And you can't hide indifference. You, you, you know, and, and that's what I found. I learned as, at a young age and I didn't understand it, obviously, but you couldn't be indifferent to the situation that was going out there because every day, you saw something, whether I knew it was right or not, I don't know, but it, it certainly like, impacted the way I, I thought and impacted the compassion so, I felt with people. So, Godfrey, you grew up, you have a, one brother or? A brother and a sister, yeah. And where, where were you? Were you the oldest, youngest? The middle. The middle yeah. child. And what did you, what was your family, like, what was your family's attitude? What did your parents how was how was it perceived? What how were how were people yeah. of color perceived by your family? The whole treatment how was it perceived? Because you know it's interesting because they were Jewish and it was like in the fifties and the early sixties. All that I remember, my parents would say, "Thank God it's not us," because Real, they were children uh, of the Holocaust and they were just so used to if there was going to be someone that was going to be oppressed, thank God it's not them. So I would say that, you know, that they didn't feel it was right, but they were incredibly centrist in their politics. Uh, where, where, where were they? Where that did they come to South Africa because of the Holocaust, or where no, were they, they from? They came from England and Lithuania, but it was before the Holocaust. Oh, okay. But they knew about it, yeah, and, and the right. general sense was like, "Thank God, you know, we're mm-hmm. third in the line of being oppressed. So right. We're doing good at this point in time." Right, I can see that perspective. Yeah. So, you know, in a way, you know, they were neutral, you know, I wasn't, and my my friends weren't, you know, my cousin wasn't, and my good friends weren't, and it was just like, you know, we had to, yeah, you have to live and you have to find a way to be, uh, just survive, and, and, and not that we were that smart about it, it just was wrong. And that's what I say about America today is like, it's just wrong, you know, you can't, rationalize it or you can't think anything you can't you can't turn your back the way that people did in germany or the way that my parents did you've got to confront the issues of inequality of whatever's happened with the the immigrant uh, situation you just can't turn your back and that's that's the parallel that i think of today but what like as a kid so as a kid would you like be walking down the street and see like a black person get taken away taken away just get taken away, was put that, in a van, and because they didn't have a pass, so they didn't have they didn't have permission to work in the white areas. Right, black black people. Well, they had four, people of color. Black people were all met. They had to live in separate areas. Yes. They were taken away by violently at some point by the police, by the police like in vans, and yeah. then made to resettle. They weren't allowed. It was illegal to marry somebody who was not your race. Yes. And it, like illegal to do, uh, illegal to live. Yeah, a lot of they uh, had the immorality act, which meant that you couldn't even uh, have you, sex. Yeah, sex with anyone. Right, immorality in 1950 made sexual relations with a person of a different race a criminal. Can you imagine? So, um, but as a child, like when you're watching this, did it feel normal at a, when you were young? Like as a child, was just like this is the way it is. Like, how did you realize that black people were just normal people? I don't think you can. If you if you see people being beaten up, you can't turn your back. It doesn't make any difference if you're young or you're old, you know. And if people are grabbed off the street and put into a, the back of a police van for not having a pass, uh. 
You so, notice it you because you're living in it. It's okay. not like it's not an academic question. It's like, so what I'm understanding, it, which I don't know if I was, is that you saw violence. Violence, yeah. Oh, okay. So like, what would that be like? Like when they got took a person off the street, a black person, did they beat them? They did beat you see them and blood? then they put them into the back of the the van. And did you see blood? Sometimes, yes. That sounds really threatening. It, it, yeah, was threatening the person screaming? Yeah, and you know, and then the, the guys who were taken were um, you, you disappeared. So if they had a job, they didn't have a job because they, they got like a year in prison for moving into the white areas, and um, and and they had to in a sense because there weren't there wasn't work outside the white areas. So what was your take on it? Did you think that you thought it was horrible, horrible. obviously, but did you think it was sad? Did you did you think that what it like did you think like black you black people are unfortunate or did you just think they didn't have the same education or like how do you how do you even process no, that? No, what you process it is that the what's are wrong. Oh, it's okay. Not, you don't, it's you, not that it's hard. It's not them. It's not that hard. You, you know. <laughs> That's that simple. It, it it's really. It's like you know the SS nation, like just hauling people off the street, putting them in. It, it, there's no. It's yeah. It's, it's just. It's really that crazy. It's that crazy. It's that crazy and that obvious. And it, that must be really hard to deal with when you're a young person. It was and to grow up and watch that. Yeah. It's got to be. That's like really traumatic. Did you talk about it as a kid with your friends and stuff? Yes, yes, and also you understand that at the same time it's like you know even in our houses you know the blacks lived in servants' quarters so so to say in your house yeah. And you weren't like real rich or anything. No, Every, no, no, no. Just no, that's, no. people that's what had it was. black, black so, people working for them, and it was jobs. But you know, it wasn't under any. You know, they couldn't move out. They couldn't do anything else. It was. So you had black people living in like your house and in- raising me. I would say that they raised me as much as my mom, and I love her dearly. Would say she did things with me. I have no recollection of her ever doing anything with me. So yeah, you had black people there and black people raising you. Wow! And so were they like in a different like were they down the hall or? Oh no! In the house they were. Those servants' quarters were outside the house. Outside the house. Uh, yeah. And did they live? So they had. Did they have hot water? Oh yeah, yeah. They had everything. It's just they weren't. In our house, you know. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And did you feel emotionally attached to them? Very much so. Very so, much so. And we've, you know, until they, they passed away because they weren't older, you know, I always every year I would hear about them and my brother would tell me. And even, in fact, one of the persons is still living. She's hunched over double. Uh-huh. We get, my brother goes and sees her when uh-huh. he goes there. Yeah. Yeah. So when... So those are real, like those are people that you know and you have a real strong emotional attachment to. So when you see other black people getting beaten or mistreated, that must be awful. It's awful. Because you, it, you know, that's so interesting that you have a deep, that, you know, you and I mean you and the other kids, you know, your, your people had a real deep uh, most most of most of white people most of white people growing up there must have had really deep connections to black people. They had deep connections, but the, you know, but the by far the majority of them just didn't see it. You know, it's they just didn't see it. They didn't care about it. They didn't see it. They 
they live good lives, you know, very good lives. And, um, and it, it didn't, you know, it, it, to them, it was how it was supposed to be, not, not how wrong it was. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And I would say that's 95% of the people. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah. you know, complacency. This is the thing we're talking about, folks. Complacency, not caring. So what what was it like? Like you were saying earlier to me that you felt like you really needed to leave because of this. Yeah. So can you explain what happened as you got older? And As I got older, you know, and also uh, another thing I would add is that you, the resistance started to come up. And initially, all we knew about it was a white-driven resistance. And mm-hmm. at my school... Um, I had like three teachers that were, the government had the ability to ban people. So they would ban them and that means they were under house arrest or they would go to jail. So they could take them off the the streets, whites. You're and talking about white people. White people and black people. But generally it was more to whites and take them off the street and say that they were to be, you know, isolated from the society for five years or not, whatever it was. Uh, so if you spoke up. You spoke up, or you were you you did your actions mm-hmm. demanded it. So I had three teachers that you know were actually my teachers in high school that were banned. So they were the, they were taught us one day and they couldn't come back the next day. Oh my god! So you, you, there were little things that you know, big things that reminded you all the time about what wow. was happening. Wow! And you know, and then going to university, our protests were very active. Uh, we uh, had. Uh, the police va- invade us on campus. Mm-hmm. You had, if you did, we're out in the streets, you had the dogs come after you, you had the policemen mm-hmm. with guns, and we were just like university students. Mm-hmm. So it was, you know, a constant battle. And, and what I've learned subsequently, and in a sense, I've always thought it was a white middle class student thing at the time, although the blacks were really the ones that were, uh, you know, downtrodden. And, but But they were so hurt by... Um, what happened to Mandela and, and and the group that went to Robben Island, that it took them 10 years to recover before starting their own rev- revolution. So and you mean it was started by the white people? It was it, it was carried on by the white, but the mm-hmm. strong revolution started by the blacks and right. the students right. in 1976. But it was hidden. We didn't know about it. And I, and I you know, and there were songs about, you know, uh, in the black community, which sort of like was about why us, you know, what did we ever do? And we never knew about it because we didn't live in that community, mm-hmm. nor did we have any contact with that community. Mm-hmm. So besides your own home, did you ever inter, you didn't, there were no black people around at all? No, they, they were on the streets and everything, but we they weren't friends you know right we went out to until we got to university and then it it sort of changed were you ever afraid as a child that your parents were going to be taken away no Uh no on the other hand i was afraid that you know that violence would break out and they would be caught somewhere and and you know and helplessly it seems like it must have been very unsettling it was it was yeah so what was um what was the feeling like that brought you that wanted you to get that made you want to get out of there, like it, yeah, it was like my good good friends were all leaving. We grew up to leave in a sense, yeah, uh, you know, because uh, of apartheid. Because of apartheid, only because of apartheid. It's the greatest country, and we all loved it, and we loved it deeply, and we loved going to the bush, which you went. Yeah, we loved going to Cape Town. We loved everything, but like we, you just can't live in a society that is so wrong. 
So uh-huh. we grew up to you know, we grew up and 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 we grew up and you know, I went you went to university to be able to leave and go and do and pursue your studies anywhere else and you knew you weren't coming back. So what was it like when you got to America and did you was it like some kind of relief or was it like like you know were you what what how did you relate to black people once you got here like what was what what, what changed what was different What what was different you come with apartheid guilt you know, uh, and you really yeah. felt like I wasn't, oh, I wasn't worthy of this, and like <laughs> oh, I, I come out of that that situation. <laughs> a Jew with apartheid guilt—that's yeah. a big dose of guilt. Yeah, it was a lot of guilt. Mm-hmm. And then I had this this amazing teacher, a black guy who taught modernization, and I, t- I took his class, and 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 one day I spoke to him, and I said, his name was Bob Washington. And I said, Bob, you know, I really feel bad about all this. And he looked at me and he said, you know, you really shouldn't because I, one thing I can guarantee you is that in South Africa you'll be have a black government and run by black people long before America has anything similar to that. He wow. said that this was, a, you know, we're living in a token society yeah. and you know what, he was wow. totally right. And since he told it to me because he was something that I, someone I respected so much, it really helped. Well, you're, that, that was like really – Prescient. That was year. I used that word last week too. Yeah. Uh, so that was like uh, seventy five, seventy six. So that was like thirty years, yeah. forty years before. Like he could see that. He could future. see that. He could see that it was wow. Yeah, you couldn't keep all the people down for for that long. Wow. And he said, you know, America, we're not going to change, and we haven't. Well, I mean, there is a huge difference between America and South Africa in the sense that. South Africa is majority is black, right? Yeah. And and in America majority is still white. It's but, slipping. Yeah, but, but the ruling the ruling power is still the one percent white guys. Yeah, that's true. Who, you know who have money. That's true. That's true. They happen to be also white, but yeah, that's true. And they have and they old clubs and they you know it's yeah. it's it's the same group that was always there. Yeah, hasn't changed at all. Yeah. And there are way too many black people unfairly incarcerated. So it's really like not, not, they're just not being grabbed off the street violently. We do it much smooth. We have systems in place um, that we can exploit. So, um, so, so that must have really helped you out meeting that, meeting meeting that that guy. Yeah. And also coming here, I came, I came in the Watergate hearings in the middle oh of the Watergate God. hearings. Oh, my God. Awesome. Yeah, I know. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> so what was that like? That was awesome. I remember Sam Irvin, you know, like talking and and uh, and everything breaking. And uh, it was just – it was really a revelation that this could, could happen. It was also my first great exposure to television and – Really? And, and things happening on television. Really? Yeah. You didn't have TV in South Not Africa? Not until 1976. Are you kidding? Yeah. You, you grew up without a TV? Yeah. Wow. The government, the government wanted to control what you see, what you oh, saw and your, wow. your access to information. So that must have been a huge impact, right? Yeah. American yeah. television. Did you watch TV for fun? Yeah, when I came out, yeah. But what did you watch? You watch sports. We know this. Main, folks. Yeah, sports. Lots of sports. Godfrey's a sports guy. Gunsmoke. Gunsmoke. All of those programs that were popular. How did you get any work done? <laughs> I don't know. I didn't. I, I skid along, slid mm-hmm. along very well. So, how did you see Americans? Did they seem like everything was so easy for them? No, your, your no, peers, no. Because it was the hippie years and. 
So you really felt that there was this great affinity with the young people and what they were doing and, you know, and the mm-hmm. plot in Vietnam was still very much part mm-hmm. of the head. So, you know, you were just walking, but at least there was the freedom to do what you wanted to do, to protest how you want to protest. And right. it wasn't that the, the case there right. wasn't, it wasn't that. Right. Um, I want to remind people again, this is this is what we need to do here. I have to remind people that they're listening to Radio Free Brooklyn, and I'm here with Godfrey Phillips today, who is talking about what it's like to grow up in with apartheid, which is pretty fucking interesting. And, and like, I'm trying to, he's helping us imagine it. But I, I also want to remind you that um, you should download our apps because you can have a Radio Free Brooklyn experience any time you can have control over it and we have so much great programming going on 24 7 we have 70 different shows most of them are live a lot of them involve music some of them involve comedy talks so go to radiofreebrooklyn.org slash iphone or radiofreebrooklyn.org slash android and download it you can get off facebook and all that other crap because you know they're really fucking with us and and you know so uh anyway Back to Godfrey. So, uh, oh, I'm on every Thursday, two to three. I wanted to say that. So, um, Nelson Mandela. So, Nelson, what year? Do you, do you remember where you, I have no idea. Did, yeah. w- w- do you remember when he went to jail? Yes. And yes. so what was that like? How old were you or like what age group? I was 14. Oh, wow. 14. So what happened then? What was that like? It was, it was, it was actually terrible because it was, it was something called the Ravonia. You know, the, the people were, they went to Ravonia. There was this this house in Ravonia where the people That's were That's a hired. place, Ravonia? It's a t- yeah, a suburb. Mm-hmm. A and town. A, a part of Johannesburg, yeah. Mm-hmm. And they came and, 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 they had, and they caught them. And, you know, we had heard a little bit about it. It wasn't like there was an ac- active resistance movement. But like in 1960, there was, a, a, there was something called the Shawful shooting. That was the big thing. And the police just shot people, miners who were protesting. And, uh, but you never heard of a, a latent big s- s- movement. You had heard of the African National Congress, but then everything about them was banned, including what is now a national anthem called Nkosisekalele Africa, which mm-hmm. just means God save Africa. And in a sense, but that was banned. And so you didn't, weren't in touch, but when, when Mandela was caught, you know, it really hit the heart. Uh, the headlines and the, and the, his trial hit the headlines. So, mm-hmm. you know, we knew about that and it was in Johannesburg and we knew that he went to Robben Island and, and then in, in a, in a country that just senses all media, you just disappear. You know, and, I, and I'm also thinking about like, I'm putting it in context myself right now because you didn't have TV. No. So, I mean, think about that, you guys. Can you imagine like, I mean, we're talking about the Watergate hearings, right? If there wasn't TV for the Watergate hearings, or there wasn't TV for the Vietnam War, TV is such a powerful medium, and you didn't have any of that. No. So how did you even – do you had newspapers? We had newspapers, yeah. Were they explicit about what was going there was on? There were some very politically active newspapers on the right and the left. So you read a lot. I mean, you really like you read newspapers, 70% of – the ones that I read was about political, something political. Mm-hmm. So that's how you got your news. Uh, mm-hmm. And um, and the problem is it becomes very oppressive. 
What do you because all you read, you know, all the news you got was about, you know, what the government was doing wrong. There was nothing uh, that they did right. Uh, so, you know, so if it's 70%, then there's the other 20% is most 10% sport and 20% classified. So it was, you just didn't know anything about, but you lived in this very, very political world. Oh, so there wasn't any neutral reporting, which we still kind of no. try to give lip service to. No, no, no. You uh, either... So one way one or, or the, the other. other. Yeah, one way or the other. Wow. That, so so did you not have a – does it make you not trust? Like is it hard to feel like you have an honest sense of what's going on then? Yeah. No, yeah, I believe you. you uh, what it did, it taught me is you pick the news source that, that fits your belief. Mm-hmm. So, That's you, you know, you never – I never would go to Fox or I never go to any of the others – I don't, you know, sources mm-hmm. that don't fit my belief because I don't want to hear that. You mm-hmm. know, it's like when I was growing up, I didn't want to hear justifications for do you, apartheid. Do you think if they had TV in those days, it would have been? It, do you think because they didn't have TV, it was easier to put Nelson Mandela in jail? No, because it was governed. It was a police state. Mm. You know, so in a police state, the police. And the mm-hmm. army run the country. It was, you know, if you thought of Nazi Germany, if they right. had TV covering uh, whatever, if there was mm-hmm. demonstrations against it, they wouldn't allow it to happen. So, no, it wouldn't yeah. have changed anything. So, but that that was a turning point, though. You felt that. I felt that, but then it, it died down. As I said, like, it, there wasn't life any protest the, for 10 years. So life just went on. But life just went on. That was on. it. He was gone. Everybody went back to their... And, and you didn't know how the blacks um, uh, felt about it because you never heard from it. Mm. You know, they were just beaten. Wow. They, their leaders were, were put in jail and... You wow. just didn't hear anything. Well, Trump, that is Trump's dream, isn't it? Yeah. And that's what he would be doing right now. We would be in jail, Godfrey. Yeah. <laughs> what a party in there, huh? Yeah. <laughs> um, I want to ask you what it was like, because you told me that you came back um, in 1983. You would have been 34 then, yeah. I guess, right? And uh, you came back for a year, and it was miserable. It was miserable. Miserable. So tell tell me about that experience. It, because things hadn't changed, like, you know. There was a lot more activity in the in the black areas. Because so, wait, I just want to get one thing uh, clear: is so you were in America, yeah. and you thought you were going to go back and do so do something Social good. Work. You yeah. wanted? Did you still have that feeling like you wanted to really? do something helpful for South Africa. Yes. You wanted to make good there. You yes. want to make something good. So so in other words, what's that saying to me is that you were deeply affected emotionally by your upbringing and the injustice you saw, right? That you had this strong desire to write that, yeah. right? To fix that. Is that what, yes. and, what we're talking about? Yeah. And your choices were were to leave or even at that point or was to go into the felt is what we call it into the bush and become a freedom fighter. But Ooh, you know, I, that's like where that. your choice, you didn't have anything in between. Right. You know, and I had two young children. So in a sense, that would be very hard. 
So I went back and oh, I with your children and your wife. Yes, to South. Oh, your whole family went, went back. Oh, yeah, and yeah. how old were your kids? They were like one and two. One oh my two God, that's a yeah. big deal! You uprooted your family and went there. Yeah. Wow. And so you thought you were going to go back and make things good and help and help out. It's more like you know do what I was supposed to yeah. do when I was growing up and right. before I left. So yes, so I, I, I had hope, but. There weren't any jobs. There weren't any positions. I taught at the university, but it was you just felt so much on the outside, and it and it then it really started to you know, affect my health. To be honest with you, you mean because if you if if you live in that environment and you can't do anything, and you feel like you you know you're just pinned against the wall, and, oh, you, and you see angry. this stuff happen. Yeah, you, know, you get angry, and you, you know, and then my blood pressure just hit. Yeah, that's also causing. Yeah. Shit. Yeah. So what was how did you see black people being treated at that point? Like what Same, were you it seeing? hadn't changed. So you were still like seeing people getting beaten up and dragged off? And, it's unimaginable. Yeah. You you know, we're such spoiled Americans. Don't take that for granted. I take that for granted that I'm not gonna see anybody get beaten and dragged off. No. Unless they really deserve it. Yeah. But um so, but as an adult with, as a father with young children, you know, bigger, you have a bigger perspective then like that must've just been, what, what was that like? You just, just wanted to get them out of it, you know? Get, and to see that must have been, see that must have been like, terrible. And, and you project your own children into situations. like that. I, I got a job in a sort of a mental health place and, uh, and there were children there and, um, you know, the government again didn't, it, they gave like a dollar a day for upkeep maintenance and therapy. So there was nothing done. It was just like keeping them uh, housed. Mental people. And we had children there. And so the worst thing was, was to see them and see my children. This is a personal thing. And I just couldn't handle that, Uh, you know, to see uh, children that that had uh, no hope. And then my children uh, were, so uh, I couldn't handle uh, it. You couldn't because you're because you are because you're you're a human being. You yeah, mean? You mean you're just a regular human being? Yeah. So you just couldn't handle. Couldn't handle. It. Oh my god. Yeah. Ah. Uh, ah. Uh, uh, it's horrible. So upsetting. I can't deal. I can't even deal. Even just even. Wow. Okay. Okay. I got to calm down. Um. So how did you get back? Like what happened? You were there for a year, and, and then and I what, just decided to go back. Did you back. were just like this? I got to get out yeah, of here. And you didn't want to bring up your children in that no, environment, right? Was that part of it? No, it couldn't bring my children to that environment. Yeah. yeah. So you came back here, and, you came back, and then just started again. You know. And is that you worked in advertising? You had a yeah. very good career, folks. Yeah. So is that when you started to work in advertising? Uh, a few years after that. Yeah. Because when I came back, you remember Ronald Reagan was in. Oh, power? Jesus! Yeah. So he cut all the social service jobs. Ah, uh, right. There was no, and there also was even if I wanted to teach. I remember when I graduated, there was one job in Montana. <laughs> Wow! So there was no, there was no teaching, and there was no, and and everything else was 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 being cut. Oh wow! Yeah. So you got a a job. So you I had, had a to find, to yeah, I had to find that how could family support my family. Wow! Yeah. Wow! Yeah. So um, you you definitely created, I mean, a nice stable life for them. For them, yeah. And that's really a great thing. Yes. That must feel good, right? It must feel. It's great. It's, it's great because we were great. together and. 
you know, and we didn't have any attachments. Uh, so, yeah, I always say that we grew up together in 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 America. Yeah, because yeah, because yeah. you guys kind of started out together. Yeah, together, yeah. Wow, wow. Yeah. So, um, that must be rewarding to see that yeah. your grandchildren now. And yeah, yeah, that's that's great, right? Yeah. No, it's, it's fantastic. really really good, and your kids are doing really well, and they're productive. Yeah. I mean, yeah. So, um, so and, you made the right choice. Yeah. And uh-huh. it all comes from being an immigrant. Do you? Yeah. What about that, guys, from being an immigrant? So do you think that they have learned about that kind of thing from you? Yes. I'm sure they probably yes. have, right? Yeah. Yeah, they both. Uh, Jason, my son, studied African and Middle Eastern politics right? at university. And Alex did too. And he became a lawyer. And he's very, very political and very oh. attuned. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah. So because you... You are very political. I'm very political, and and um, I guess that's partly from your upbringing. Yeah, are most people in South Africa political, or no. are you extreme that way? Or no, more extreme? now I would say you know, especially where you've been to where I live. So it's it's it, what what's happened in certainly the areas where I am. It's like you know, become a lot more. We're in it together, and how we're going to survive, and you know, because it is in the bush, we've got this. The heat and the sun, the drought and the rain, mm-hmm. everything like that, and no great government services. So it's a wonderful environment because it's an environment where people do see each other as mm-hmm. as equal, and you're you're more into the the art of making it work mm-hmm. than dividing people. So it feels like there's a cooperative in, uh, experience because of the environment. That you're in. The, the environment the, drives it. Yeah, you know, that's pretty you, cool. You, I know, because you've got to, if, if your roads go down, you know, you they, they call out for people to help sk- you. And yeah. it doesn't matter what color your skin is. <laughs> if the you, roads you, are down, the roads the are roads down. down. <laughs> you've got to go in and see what you all you can pull together to An- do. Animals don't know. Animals don't know. So, so yeah, what so happened, so when did, when did, Mandela, well, so where, you were in America when, when Mandela got out of jail, right? Yes. That was, let's see, I got it right here, 1994. 93. Yeah, 93, 94. Yeah. Oh, in 94, uh, that's when everybody was allowed to live in wherever they wanted, yes. right? People can live where, wherever they wanted. And and you were allowed to come back. And Yeah, so you weren't living in South Africa. No, then, because, but you know, you, again, my children were too young to yeah. move them. Out. Yeah, but did you um have a sense of it or what what yeah. what what did, what did you feel what did you think and- i started to feel more and more proud you know and now i i'm i you know I, and and even like coming back when we did i've got this tattoo of mandela on my back there you go you know guys. because he allowed us to come home that's the way i look at him uh-huh. he gave us all permission to come home mm-hmm. so it was amazing that they did it and it's amazing that they you know, if you have mm-hmm. fifty years of that hardship and that discrimination and that, you know, and that pain, it it takes a long time to mm-hmm. move it back into a normal society. I'm getting a call. Let's see who it is. Hold on a second. Hello. Hello. All right. Well. Uh. Anyway. Uh. Wrong number. I don't know. I yeah. Don't know. So. Um. 
when you when you're like okay so this is what i'm thinking about i'm thinking about what america's like from my point you know from not just me personally but like what it's like now it feels like we're starting to talk about reparations we're ta- we're starting to acknowledge that there was slavery we're starting to acknowledge that um actually black people built a lot of the infrastructure of this country yeah. and are responsible for like a lot of people like probably Carnegie, the Mellons or whoever built the railroads and all that shit. Um, is there anything similar like that in South Africa? Well, there was after apartheid, there was this truth commission where the people that, that were the uh, policemen and the, you know, the, the bad people could, could come in front of a commission of independent people and sort of like talk about what they did. Uh-huh. And so it was a it was a cleansing episode, uh, part of our of, of our history. Oh, really? Yeah, that's cool. So, what would they talk about? Like, what do you mean? Like, if they tortured people, or shot people, or killed people. So they would be they would have to admit it publicly. Yes. Was there TV then? And, and no, it wasn't covered by TV. But they, <laughs> Too but bad. they, yeah, that made great TV. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Good ratings, <laughs> advertising. So, um. So, anyways, so do so did those people go to jail and stuff? No, or? they didn't because you know it was uh, they were forgiven. They were forgiven. They were forgiven. Yeah, they were forgiven. Did they ask for forgiveness? No, it was part of the truth commission to be able to come out and and tell people about what you did and about because the situation. I mean, there was a lot of like yeah, really heavy duty. You know, interrogations, waterboarding, killings, and really? all that stuff wow. of stuff, political assassinations. But it was, you know, what they would say it was in a time of war, uh-huh. which it most probably was. Mm-hmm. And, um, but they were excessively violent, and, and, and the government was, you know, strong enough to say, if you come and you confess your sins, you know, and let it be known in some public record about what you did and all that, that they forgave them. Wow. And, uh, so it would take a particularly strong person to want to do that, right? To well, if I you know, I think it started to wear down it's like, you know, with anyone even in with, you know, the peace people in Vietnam when you give and Iraq when you when you do injustice to people, you can't do it for long enough to it doesn't start wearing down on your, you know, what you did and your conscience. I guess so I think that's Some what people. what happened. Yeah, you know. I, so so that was, but that's that's really that's beautiful. I mean, that's really idealistic. No. Yeah, but that's South Africa. What do you mean by that? South Africa is just different. You know, it's like it doesn't. Uh, we build our own rules as we go along, and it's like mm-hmm. you know you have to be. Yeah, people complain and they worry, and you know, and particularly the white people because things happen that wasn't what it was. But like you know, I, I just get the feeling that people work hard to make it work, uh-huh. and they understand that people have uh-huh. been there for a long time, and that we've all got our roots there, and that. Uh, so, so going through apartheid um, in a certain way now that now that it's been resolved, at least. On paper, in the laws, I mean, I can't speak for that, but um, it's kind of maybe kind of made a certain level of 
solidarity. Maybe it's made your country sort of more emotionally healthy. Yes. You think so? Yes, I yeah. do think so. I mean, the people that want, you know, are still want retribution and so forth, but it just grows, you know, it grows on and, 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 the, and yeah, it's, 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 it is healthy. It's, mm-hmm. you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's just, we've overcome everything. Yeah. And uh, now we, we have to look for the future. Do you, do you think that um, that apology thing was really helpful? Was, was is that a big deal? It's I think called it's a big deal. The Truth Commission. The Truth Commission. It's yeah. a big deal, right? It's a very big I'm going to go look that up when I get home. Now. Yeah. Uh, so let's talk about what it's like there today between for the for the for racism. So, um, South Africa is majority black people. Yes. How, what what are the percentage? Do you know? Is it like seventy percent black? No people? more, but eighty. 80. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So technically they should be, be completely or whatever. So how is it now? How are, do, do they run this? Do they run the, do they run the show? They or? run the show. They, but economically still the whites, you know, controls a lot of the companies, but there's a lot of, you know, political, uh, acts that force, uh, or, or, you know, make you have to, integrate companies mm-hmm. and and people are getting you know educated and blacks are, mm-hmm. are really up to that position like we at our foundation where we get doctors and you know and professionals mm-hmm. medical professionals we get like 30 40 percent black doctors mm-hmm. who are incredibly capable well educated yeah, it's all then mm-hmm. that's all new, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, you might take it for granted, but it's new to it's new no, to I, South Africa. I don't take yeah. I don't I don't think, you know, I don't I'm wondering, I mean, uh, you know, it seems almost I don't think that, you know, black people necessarily I mean, there's no equality here yeah. either, but it sounds like it's happening. People it's want beginning to, get to happen. It's, I mean, with with the amount of the you know, with the eighty percent black people, it seems like black people should really be dominating the government and the culture. They're just by nature. Yeah, There's they more. dominate the government. They do. Yes, yes, mm-hmm. but it's you. You still got you know corporate business South Africa. So, uh, and and you've got to create jobs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. and they found that out in other countries in Africa mm-hmm. too. You can't go socialist because if you don't create jobs, then you get tremendous unemployment and you change over systems because unemployed people aren't sympathetic. But now that black people have a lot more um, power in government, do you think that they will eventually be able to take over or start a lot of the corporations or have I, I, more financial? Yes, pl- and I think they are, but it's still – what happens is that – and what has happened there, and I would most probably happens everywhere, it's because – if you kept down and then you put in that position, people take advantage of it. Right. So you have mega, mega, mega uh, rich black people. Oh. And those are people that have really like climbed into oh. the top and, 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 and become capitalists above oh. socialists. Yeah. Oh, I see. So, but that will change too. That will change uh-huh. too. Yeah. Do you think, so it seems like in a way black people will, eventually wind up sort of having more equality or power in South Africa than white people, than black people have hope for here. Yeah. That's that what my true? friend told me. 
Yeah. In 76. That's exactly what he told me. They'll run the, they run the country. Right, uh, yeah, right. They run the country. So right. yes, yes. And it's, kind and of, it's awesome. It's, 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 I, I love it. I love living there. And, you know, and you feel it. You feel it like when you go to places which are, you know, government controlled, like the Kruger Park and all that. And all you do is, I mean, all those positions are occupied by blacks. And in the old days, it was the Afrikaner mentality, which was very bureaucratic, very do this, do that, uh-huh. dictatorial. Now it's incredibly friendly and, you know, you made you made you feel at home and part of everything. It's it's just an awesome wow. change in everything that, wow, that that's happens. Wow, so there. cool. Yeah. That's so cool. And you can really appreciate it because – you understand the whole history of how where it's caught. You were there. You were there. Yeah, that's very exciting to uh, have that um, perception and that experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It all works out for the best. It's just a long path. Yeah, a long road. Yeah. So we have a few minutes left. Why don't you tell us a little? You know, so people people can go to chat. Chamber Foundation. So we started this because the reason we 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 were asked and we came there and we asked, well, what can we do? And people that people started they started to ask for things like clinics and structures. And who when, did you guys? I'm sorry. Who did you guys meet with when you went there? Did you meet with like the the politi- chiefs? The chiefs, like uh, yeah. the well, are those are they still there and still like powerful. chiefs of tribal chiefs? Yeah. And what what are they like? Like, are they living? How do they live? They live very well. Are they? They're, they're tribal. So they. How is that structured? I just want to understand uh, what tribal, a tribal. What is a tribal chief? A tribal what does chief that mean? Is, the, is still the chief of that area. I mean, the government, the political party is is there, but the on the day to day running is run by the chiefs and their ward leaders and so forth. So like are that. they just making decisions about like? Because they're they're the wise men and they just randomly not make really decisions. wise men. Sometimes they're very very corrupt. Yeah, but well, whatever. But yeah. they're the guys in charge and they just randomly make decisions, decisions. not based on anything uh, on the on their people. Yeah. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah, that's know. like my household. Yeah. So anyway, go ahead. So we went there and 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 the first our first contact was one of the guys who was worked as a ranger came to us and said. You know, they were building a school, and they. He said, "Like, can you come? We've got two classes, and we we need a third class, and the two classes need to be repaired. Uh, would you come and look and maybe help us with the third class?" So when we got there, we were we were totally impressed by everything. So we helped them build the school. Wow! So so the school's up and functioning, and it's wow. really great. And so you started with the school. We started with the school, and then we went to the chief and said to him, "Okay, what else can we do for the area?" And he came up with things like help with the roads, which is in our business, and you know, build a clinic, which is in our business. But what in the end we found, and after a lot of research, that what people need is professional help. You know, it's the only doctors and, and because they in our hospital that we work out the eleven full time doctors for a four hundred bed hospital. Wow. And that covers twenty four seven service. So wow. you know, they're just not professionals in uh, out there and people need that, you know, patients need that. So we started chamber of on the idea that we would recruit uh, medical professionals to come and then we would place them in the hospitals and the clinics and um and it's been very successful mm-hmm. and on top of that 
we've expanded um, our offering. We built the area's first women's clinic where wow. they do, yeah, where they do mammographies and, wow. and screening for cancer. We built this eye clinic. Uh, we do a lot of outreach, which we go out into the schools and we do dental and eyes and and there's areas I want to expand to next year, like counseling and everything. Uh, we do teaching. So we teach mm-hmm. the professionals. They, all of our doctors that come in are obligated to teach the local doctors. medical yeah. on what's happening outside. Mm-hmm. We buy equipment sometimes if need be. Mm-hmm. So we really like just disconce ourselves in the community, and that's what Chamber does. Wow. So what we look for is we look for outside volunteers to come, medical volunteers, but I'm starting to expand our outreach to other areas like academic counseling. Like one of the guys came to me and he said when when people get to when kids get to a certain age they they don't know which route to take. So right. they take the easiest route in right. high school and therefore aren't qualified to become doctors or mm-hmm. lawyers or you mm-hmm. know, they take history and agricultural. That's what the guys say. So I want to start something which is more of academic counseling. Mm-hmm. We do. We help with um, with with gardens wow. and, and growing, wow. and, and so we want to make that more part of our what we do. Right. Uh, and there, there are other areas where we where people are talked to us. So we want to be more actively involved but in when outreach. People come and stay with stay there. They have like a beautiful place to stay. If, I mean, the place you're talking about with the. You know, with the watering hall, with all those, with the zoo right there. It's not even, well, whatever. You're right in the middle. So you are, I mean, you, what, what they, they come there, but they, you take care of them. We take care of them and we place them. And, and they have a really nice, and they have a a brilliant African experience. Beautiful place to stay. So where, where do people, where have the doctors been coming from? They come from, uh, we, we had to work out licensing, so we finally nailed that. So you know we can do overseas. So overseas we get a lot of Europe, mm. we get some American, some Canadian, we get a lot of South African doctors who just want to again go back to the rural to do mm. rural medicine. Um, and we're growing all the time. So mm-hmm. Australia, we get Australian doctors mm. too. So we're starting, you know, to really uh, expand and. Um, Mm-hmm. And and but if we go into outreach programs, I want you know obviously other professionals, uh, yeah. you know that that aren't just medical professionals. I'm going. Folks. Yeah. How about if do you need any fake doctors? We, <laughs> fake shrinks. We need art teachers. Uh, yeah. Okay. I yeah. can teach art. Yeah. I like art. <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's wonderful. It's like everything opens up once you're there. It's it's just. Uh, it's a wonderful place so, to be. So it's so funny. So the beginning of, you know, your life story kind of started out with a very difficult, it kind of started out with the beginning of apartheid, but now like all that time has sort of put you in a position where you're actually able to make something really powerful happen because of that almost, of the, right? The loop of my life is, is, is changing. You know, if you think of your life as a circle, that was the one part that wasn't complete, and now it's 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 yeah. starting to complete itself. Well, I'll, I'll tell you something, guys. I went to visit uh, Godfrey in the bush, and I've never seen a happier Godfrey in my life. Mm-hmm. And I've known him like twenty years. He is—you really can see it. I mean, it's a 
it's 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 a be- it's a beautiful thing for real. And I don't know how to say that without sounding either corny or ironic and obnoxious. So I'm just going to leave it at that. So thank you so much for being here thank today, you. Godfrey. Thanks, Thanks for, for sharing with us. Stick around, folks, because we've got a great afternoon of programming. Lost and Rewound with Elon Danziger right after this, which is like hilarious people playing their old mixed tapes. So you're going to hear music and funny stories. Dr. Lisa gives a shit.